Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. We live in a day where we don't talk much about the fear of God or hear much about the fear of God. It's a day where Christianity is often lived out in an obedience optional manner so that if somebody feels like doing something, they do it. And if it's sinful, they think, well, God understands. It's no big deal. After all, we are under grace. And if I can just say it again, if that's your approach to your walk with God, you may think you are a Christian, but tragically, at the end of your life, you may find out that while you knew him, he didn't know you. Understanding the fear of God is really important because it's essential not only to our salvation, but to our sanctification. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life to make us more like Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we have to have a fear of God. Unfortunately, in much of our contemporary Christianity, people have watered down this concept because they don't want to offend people. And so we have a lot of Christians who have substituted reverence for the fear of God, which reverence is a wonderful thing, but reverence is not the same as a fear of God. As followers of Jesus, we need to fear God. Is God love? Yes. People say, well, you know, perfect love casts out all fear. The kind of fear we're talking about there is not the fear of God. It's every other fear. Jesus is the one who said that you and I should fear God. In Luke chapter 12, he said this, I'll tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus knew the Father well, and he said, fear him. We're not talking about reverence there. The word there for fear is the word Phobeo, we get our word phobia from it, and it means to be frightened, it means to be alarmed, it means to be exceedingly fearful and afraid. And the context there is not one of fire and brimstone, but the context is one of the Father's care for you and I. This is the paradox, the seeming contradiction between the fear of God on our part and the experience that we have of the love of the Father coming to us as we fear him. You read on and you read in Luke chapter 12 and verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. So what happens is, as you and I fear God, we experience the love of the Father and the care of the Father in an entirely new dimension. 
but we need to have the fear of God. Last time we looked at three ways that we fear God. Number one, we'll just give you the points. Repent of those things that are displeasing to God and do whatever is necessary to stop doing them. In other words, whatever it is you're doing that you know is displeasing to God, stop it. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Better to enter eternal life with one hand than to have two hands and miss heaven. Whatever it is that you're doing that you know right away is this pleasing to God must stop. If you continue, it's obvious you don't fear God. Number two, cultivate the fear of God in your life. I mean, there is a cultivation of that whereby we consider whether or not we fear God in the various areas of our life. And we talked about one of the ways you do that is you recognize the presence of the Lord is with you, and then you begin to ask yourself, are the things that I'm doing, if Jesus were physically standing with me, would I do them? And if you wouldn't, then you need to stop doing them. You have to cultivate this sense that he's there, that he's present, that he's watching, that he sees. Number three, recognize the damnable consequence of living a spiritually careless life. See, sometimes people have the idea, well, you know what? God understands, and I'm only a human, and he knows. And so what people do is they have a tendency then to say, well, I'm saved by grace, and it doesn't matter what I do, and that's not true. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. These are people who, who say, Lord. They would say he is the Lord of their life. They just don't act like it. Reminds me of Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I ask? Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. So if you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, the issue for each one of us is, are we doing his will? Do you know what his will is, and are you doing it? And at the point that any one of us would become comfortable with living a life that does not do what we know is the will of God, we're, we're absent of the fear of God, and we're in danger of thinking we're saved and we're not. Watch this. On the judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. I mean, these are people who are busy doing things for Jesus, but only doing the things they want to do for Jesus. Now, sometimes people will say, well, look, see, healings and all of that, that, that doesn't mean much, and, and um, those people are going to go to hell. And some people who are cessationists use this verse to say, see, we're not supposed to heal people today. And that is a complete misunderstanding of the verse. The way to look at it is to say this, if people who 
the Lord didn't know were in his name able to cast out demons and heal the sick, then how much more should the people the Lord does know be able to do things in the name of Jesus, right? We prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Why didn't he know them? You who break God's laws. So if, if you're comfortable in a situation where you're living, you're having an affair, you're comfortable with it. You're sleeping with somebody outside of the bond of marriage, you're comfortable with it. You're comfortable with your pornography. You're comfortable with, we could go down the list and just, you're comfortable with whatever it is that is your sin tendency and everybody has sin tendencies. You're like, well, God understands that the risk to you is that you could find yourself in a situation where you've tolerated sin and you thought God was with you, but it's Ichabod over your life. That means the glory has departed. He is not with you. And you will find out at the end of your life that you're not going to heaven. Let me give you another one. How do we maintain or how do we live in the fear of God? Number four, maintain a clear conscience. Maintain a clear conscience. One of the things we know is that when we come to Christ, we are cleansed from all sin. And then the job is of the Christian is now that he has redeemed us, now that he has set us free, we need to walk in that freedom. Now that he has delivered us from sin, we should put to death the deeds of the flesh. We will not tolerate sin in our life. This is, this is we, we want to maintain the condition that Jesus gave us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, this idea of a guilty conscience really is a, a terrible translation, honestly. Um, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So the word there is paneros in the Greek, and it's consistently trans, translated as evil or sensuality can have that translation as well. The context here is how you and I approach God. We can draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Now, a lot of commentators will, will take this verse and they'll say, really what it's telling you is just realize that Jesus died for your sins so you have access to the Father and your body being washed with water is a, re- is a reference to baptism. None of that is accurate. It's not what it's saying. What it's saying is exactly what it's saying. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. This is the person who's been saved. This is the person who's been forgiven. And yet the conscience of a believer can be evil in this sense. And that is when it does not perform its duty. When a person allows evil to reside in their heart and they excuse it. Let me give you an example. So somebody maligns you, somebody criticizes you, somebody 
hurt you. Maybe they hurt you financially. They, they've stolen something from you. They've cheated you. And now you're living in the backwash of that. It's difficult. Or you've lost your friend group because somebody in the group was a mean person and they said things and maybe they went so far as to go on social media and say the things they say. And the Bible counsels this, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. The verse before that in Luke chapter 6 is, love your enemies. So what happens is you're dealing with all of this. There is, there is a part of you that wants, uh, you know, you want to serve God, you want to do right. So what you do is you say, okay, the Bible says I need to bless them. So, you know, you say, Lord, I just pray you bless them. They were horrible to me, but I pray you bless them. And what happens is inside your heart, you don't love them. You say, how do you know whether you love them or not? Do you, let me just give you a definition of love. Do you love them the way God loves them? Because if you don't, then something's amiss there. And what can happen is we can comfort ourselves with the idea, well, you know what, I'm trying and God understands I'm human and no one's perfect. Wrong, wrong, and wrong. When you have the fear of God, what happens is what becomes paramount in your heart is you don't want anything in your heart that is in any way displeasing to the Lord and in any way pollutes your heart and makes it less than what it was when Jesus Christ saved you and cleansed you. And so what you need is you don't need a sacrifice to clear it because he died once and for all. The sacrifice was made. He doesn't keep dying and re-sacrificing himself. You don't need a new sacrifice. We're not in the old covenant. And even the blood of bulls and goats couldn't offer cleansing. What you need is you need your heart sprinkled. It's the imagery, and we don't have time to go into it, but in the Old Testament, they could offer a sacrifice, and then there would be times when water would be sprinkled, and it would have a cleansing effect on them, and the, the sacrifice didn't take place. The sacrifice had been offered already, but now people are sprinkled, and they're cleansed, ceremonial uncleanness. Uh, warriors who kill people in battle, they're sprinkled and, and cleansed. It's a, it's a picture of that, and what we're talking about is a picture of the Holy Spirit. John Owen, the Puritan, and the Puritans had this down. It is the Holy Spirit and his efficacious work that are denoted by pure water as is frequently promised. Wherefore, this sprinkling of our hearts is an act of the sanctifying power of the Holy Ghost. So to have a, as we're approaching God, one of the things that we do, it's the spirit of Psalm 139, to cleanse our conscience, we realize, listen, uh, God, I may think I am, my conscience is completely clear. I might not be aware of anything in my life that is displeasing to you, but Psalm 139 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. God, I don't even know my own thoughts. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17. So we have to come to God. When, when you have this fear of God, you say, God, I don't want anything that would come between you and me in terms of our fellowship and our relationship. And God, I don't even know my own heart at times. And so God, sometimes I can know those things and I repent of them and I say, cleanse me, empower me to love like you love. But at the same time, God, I recognize there may be things in my life I'm not aware of. Search me. Show me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. When you have the fear of God, your, your concern is, I want nothing that would interrupt my fellowship with God. And I'm not going to make myself comfortable with a standard that is less than your absolute holiness because I want pure, perfect, powerful, wonderful fellowship with you. And the psalmist says, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, if there's things in our life that are not right. The fear of God propels us to, to, to ask the Holy Spirit to sprinkle our heart. And, and again, the idea of our body being washed, it's the Holy Spirit that's washing us, that's renewing us, that's regenerating us, that we might walk with God. Number five, consecrate yourself. Now, in the Bible, the word consecration means this, so we're all together on this. The separation of oneself from things that are unclean, especially anything that would contaminate one's relationship with a perfect God. Consecration also carries the connotation of sanctification, holiness, or purity. So when we're consecrating ourselves, we're saying, I don't want anything in my life that's going to contaminate it. This is where we have to be very discerning concerning the world around us and the things we watch, the things we listen to, the things... And, and listen, I'm not going to lay down uh, a group of rules. I don't think that's what you need. What you do need is a mindset that says, God, is there anything that's contaminating my heart, my mind, my home, my marriage, my children? Is there anything that, that in sometimes honestly, in the act of consecration, we let go of things that aren't in and of themselves necessarily sinful, but they keep us from devoting ourselves to God in the way he would want us to. Good things that have become inordinately important. Things that don't have a moral right or wrong, but they weigh us down when it comes to running the race. 
Sometimes we have a tendency to look at other people and say, well, they do it and they love God. Well, listen, others may, but you may not. Others might be able to balance their life in a way where that hobby, that activity, that whatever it is doesn't hinder them, but it hinders you. And you know it does. Anything that lessens your devotion for God needs to be laid aside for him when you fear God and you want to draw close to him. Listen, God is coming for a holy people. Peter says judgment begins at the house of God. He's coming for a, a pure bride. He shows himself powerful when people consecrate themselves. And again, I'm, I'm just, you know, in, in addition to our own personal walk with God and the power that would be yours if you would consecrate yourself. Because can I just tell you this? You will never lay down, let go, or give up anything for him and his kingdom that he will not pay you back a hundred times. Some of you, there's an absence of power in your life because there's a lack of consecration in your life. Genesis chapter 35, it's very interesting. You can look at several places where there's consecration happening. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. This is, this is an act of consecration. Clean yourself up. Let go, get rid of some things, bury some things, valuable things. You know, notice he says, he doesn't say, go sell these things. Bury them. I mean, they're lost. They're gone. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, and I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on all the towns around them. So in other words, once there's this consecration and this devotion to the Lord and the fear of the Lord, what happens is there is a, the, the, the presence of the Lord falls on you in a new way that actually brings a conviction to the people you come in contact with without you ever saying a word. It's just God is on you to a degree that is significant. In Exodus 19, another picture of it, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothes. Notice that. It's a, it's a washing of the clothes again. It's a, it's, a, it's a cleaning yourself in every way that you can. And be ready by the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Notice, you consecrate yourself, then the Lord shows up. This is why the fear of God in your life is going to introduce the presence of the Lord in your home and in your life in a way you've not yet experienced. And especially in this season in the life of the church where we're seeing the supernatural in such an incredible dimension, you're going to see it in a way you've never seen it. There are some of you, and God is simply waiting for you to let go of everything else because he can't pour into your hands the things he wants because they're already full. 
And when you'll let go and you'll lay down the things that you've been hanging on to and you will do it in the name of consecrating yourself because you fear God, you will experience his power in your life in a way you've never seen. Next verse says this. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Again, notice how many times this shows up. There's this washing. There's this purifying. Then he said, the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. And on the morning of the third day, there was, a thund there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, and everyone in the camp trembled. So God shows up. They consecrate themselves, God shows up. You consecrate yourself, God shows up. This church consecrates itself, God shows up. The one thing that will happen when the fear of God settles on this place, God will show up in a way you and I have never seen it before. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain, and Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like a smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him, and the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. Listen, when people purify their life, God will show up in such a degree and dimension of power that it will be something you've never seen before in your whole life. And at the same time, it will be wonderfully terrifying. I mean, Hebrews says this about Moses. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. You consecrate yourself and God does amazing things. This is the biblical pattern everywhere. You say, oh, that's Old Testament. We live in grace. It doesn't, you know, you're talking, you, you have to use the Old Testament to scare people into the fear of God. Not true. Jesus, remember, is New Testament. He talked about the fear of God. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What are we talking about here? Separation based on consecration. That's what it is. Because I'm consecrating myself to the Lord, there's some people I'm not going to run around with. Some of you are running with the wrong crowd and you have preferred their company over God's company. And the problem for you is, is this, that at some point you got to choose whose dog you're going to hunt with. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial or the devil, we could say? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they'll be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I'll receive you. Touch no unclean thing. Consecrate yourself. 
Have a fear of God that says, you know what? I don't want anything that's going to contaminate me. I don't want anything that's going to pollute me. You say, well, how would we ever reach people? Listen, we're going to go to people. We're going to love people. We're going to reach out to people. But it's going to be on the terms that the Lord has laid out, not on the world's terms. We love people. We're talking to people. We're sharing Christ with people. We're around people. But we're not running with people in a way that makes them comfortable as we lower our level so their sin is acceptable to them and to us. Let's see. Verse 18. So you separate yourself, and then watch. I'll be a father to you. Isn't this wonderful? You, you and I separate ourselves. We touch no unclean thing, and all of a sudden, he's a father. And you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So very, it's, it's, there's just such a paradox. On the one hand, this consecration based on the fear of the Lord and his response of love as he wraps his arms around you. Some of you know less of God's love and is working in your life than you would, and then he wants you to know and it's simply because your life is filled with things that displease him. And at some point, you've got to decide, what do I want? What's most, what's most pleasurable to my soul? To be right with God and to be close to God and to be able to pray for people and have his power flow through me to deliver them and to heal them and to have my tongue anointed that they might come to know Christ. Number six, and we'll close, sensitivity to God. Ephesians 4, we're talking about sensitivity to God. Really, it, it just comes down to the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the living God. The, you know, don't you know that you're the temple of the living God? And that his spirit, Paul says, lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. If you're a believer, he's inside you. So the, the thing that happens is because he's in us and he's with us and he's God, very God, then when we have the fear of God, the way we respond is we say, I don't want to do anything that would... That would Bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. I don't want the Holy Spirit to weep over the choices I make. I don't want him to weep over the things I say or the things I think or the things that I do. Paul says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. ESV, in the more traditional way, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How do, how do we not do that? Well, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So the idea is you got to get rid of it. You can't excuse, well, you know what? Sometimes I just lose my cool. I've got a short fuse. Well, then that's wrong. And that breaks the heart of God. And the Holy Spirit weeps when you blow up at your spouse. And rather than just saying, well, you know, they know I'm Irish and they know I've always been this way. 
what you say is you turn to them and you say, you know what? What I did was so wrong, and I'm asking you to forgive me. And then you go to God and you say, God, please forgive me. And when you do that, what happens is you stop that behavior in your life. A lot of people have life-controlling behaviors in your life, and the reason why is because you will not acknowledge it when it happens to the people close to you, and you won't ask, you won't repent to them, nor will you repent to God. And so you're going to just simply keep on doing it. But when you go to God and you ask God to help you and you've done what's right in responding to the people around you and acknowledging what you did was wrong, then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart to sanctify you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. The message puts it this way, don't suppress him. So let's put it this way. We grieve the Holy Spirit or sorrow him by sin, and we quench the Holy Spirit by failing to cooperate with him. So grieving the Holy Spirit is, is really a result of impurity. It's based on purity. And then quenching the Holy Spirit is focused on power. Are we going to shut his power off? Are we going to say, the Holy Spirit's going to say, listen, I want you to go talk to somebody, and then you don't want to do it. Let me tell you this. If you're comfortable telling the Holy Spirit, no, it's because you don't fear God. If you feared God, you'd do it. If you're comfortable, and listen, I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just, let's, let's just cut to the chase, and let me shoot you straight. If the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, do it. Do it. If the Holy Spirit's telling you to stand up, to be prayed for, come forward, be prayed for. You know, a lot of people suffer needlessly because they won't respond. The Holy Spirit tells you, go and say to somebody you're sorry, or go pray for somebody, or whatever it is, do what he asks you to do. Whether it's quenching the Holy Spirit or grieving the Holy Spirit, both require obedience to the Spirit. And if you're comfortable offending the Spirit with your behavior, or you're comfortable saying no to the Spirit, then it's simply because you don't have a fear of God. And this is the whole issue. So become sensitive. Say, you know what? I am not going to grieve him, and I'm not going to say no to him. The fear of God will motivate you to a greater purity, a greater obedience, a greater passion, and an experience of a greater presence and power on your life. Listen, every one of us need it. And if we don't have it, we won't see God do in our life what he desires to do, right? One last verse. Hebrews 12, 14. Work at living a holy life. I want to ask this question. Are you working at doing that? Or are you like, well, if it happens, great. Or, you know, I think I'd do a pretty good job. I'm, I mean, I don't get as serious as John about all this stuff. <laughs> Listen. Work at living a holy life. Everybody. That's everybody. That's not just for preachers. It's for every believer. Why? For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. You want to see the Lord show up in your life? You want to see him do things you've never seen before? You want to see his power? You want to experience his glory? You want all these things? Listen, 
Cultivate a holy life and you'll see the Lord in ways you've never seen him before.